This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Ishmael Kawaja. Hello, hope you're well. Thanks for downloading today's podcast on Wednesday the 12th of October. Now we're starting with one of our most read stories on Kent Online. A radical plan to overhaul transport in Canterbury could see cars banned from travelling from one side of the city to the other. Bosses have come up with a 20-year vision which would see the area divided into five separate zones. Public transport would be improved and anyone who did travel by car would have to use a new outer ring road or get a fine. Ben Fitzharding is the council leader. What that enables for the city centre is a far nicer and more vibrant place for people to live, work and visit through a dramatically better public transport system. Um, At the moment, our public transport is stuck in the same traffic that everybody else is. Actually, if we create better journeys that mean that people can drive in and stop where they need to and then make use of hopper buses and um, protected road space for cycles and other modes of transport, we can create something that is so much better than what we've got today and by 2045 have delivered far nicer neighbourhoods for our residents to live in while creating somewhere that is so much better to visit and so much more prosperous for employers um, and for everyone that is part of our economy. For residents within the five neighbourhoods, the five zones that the city would be um, divided up into, uh, they can access the things, the services, the facilities within their neighbourhood by car if they need to, although the neighbourhoods are of a size that for a lot of people walking and cycling will be the best way to get around anyway, as they probably do already. But if you want to travel into a different neighbourhood, then the best way of doing that will be walking, cycling or using the public transport options that this plan opens up. If you did want to drive, um, say, for example, the supermarket was in a different neighbourhood to the one that you you live in. um, Yes, you could go back out of your neighbourhood and pick up part of the new outer ring or partial ring um, to get there. But actually, by 2045, will people be driving to their supermarket in the same way that they do now? There'll be different supermarkets um, available, or you'll be using home delivery, or you'll use the transport network, maybe a a hopper bus that runs every few minutes, to go and choose your shopping and then have it delivered back to you in a much more efficient way by using a single delivery vehicle that um, would drop off shopping to multiple different houses. So actually, if we think long term, this is a much better way of, of going about getting your groceries, still being able to get to your GPs, to the hospital, to whatever it is you need to access, but doing so in a way that really reduces private car movements and creates a much nicer environment for us all to enjoy. The proposals use AMPR cameras like the ones we've got in our car parks so that we don't have to create hard barriers. We're not physically preventing anybody from going anywhere. But if you did decide to use a private car to travel between the different neighbourhoods, then you'd receive a a fine, you'd receive a ticket. Um, And that means that if in an emergency, you'd you'd still wouldn't physically be prevented from heading somewhere. Uh, But it also makes it very, very easy for taxis, public transport, people with blue badges um, to move between the neighbourhoods completely unhindered 
Um, it would only be for those without a permit or without a permit that enables them to go a certain way. Um, it would be to prevent them from doing so, so that other modes of transport like public transport um, can prevail instead. The vision that this local plan puts forward is certainly radical, it's very exciting, but there's an awful lot of detail and an awful lot of work and evidence that has come to getting to this point. It's going to take time for people to absorb that and understand it and think about actually in 20 years time, how will we move around? And has our local council and has our local leadership delivered us a vision that will help us get there and will help us to be able to grow and to prosper and be ready for whatever the future is going to bring for the city of Canterbury. I believe that this plan does that, but what we need people to do is work with us to comment on the proposals, give us their thoughts and ideas, identify where they can see problems with it, so that throughout this consultation period, we can learn and then we can put forward a second draft of the plan, ready to go to the planning inspector late next year, and that that can include everybody's contributions to make the plan as strong and as viable as possible so that we can go to the inspector with a really great plan for our district. It's all part of the council's local plan and residents are being asked what they think. Kent Online reports. A cyclist who was injured in a road rage attack in Thanet is hoping someone will recognise a description of the man responsible. Keith Patrick was forced into a curb when he was overtaken while riding in Birchington. The car driver then stopped and grabbed his bike helmet, strangling him with the strap. Keith's been telling Max more about what happened. I was cut up by the driver. Um, he then proceeded to block my progress, uh, so I couldn't really get, get any, any way ahead. Um, and then he came round another corner, uh, came to an abrupt stop. I had to avoid the back of his car and hit his car door. What did he look like? Uh, he looked like a blues brother. He was literally dressed in a blues brother outfit. So the, uh, the black bowler hat, jet black glasses, black tie. I think it was a white shirt and a, and a black um, jacket. What injuries have you sustained? Uh, so the main injury is whiplash. From, uh, from having to tear my head back to, to release the, uh, the tension on my, uh, my chin strap and uh, also just this cut to my nose, which is feeling a little, little bit bruised and battered. Our other top stories today, a man's been charged with attempted murder following an attack in Dartford. Police were called to Kirby Road in the early hours of Saturday following reports a woman had been assaulted with a knife. The 35-year-old has been remanded in custody and will appear at Crown Court next month. A Dover man who abused his girlfriend, including forcing her to use a bucket as a toilet, has been jailed for two years. The court was told how Jack Maguire carried out various verbal and physical assaults between January last year and this June. The 23-year-old from St David's Avenue admitted controlling and coercive behaviour and has also been given a 10-year restraining order. A sitting bull man who stole insulation from a building site in Twiddle then led police on a high-speed chase with two children in his car. William Dallas broke into the site on Romney Road in February, but was spotted climbing over a fence. The 33-year-old from Saffron Way reached speeds of up to 70 miles per hour in a 30 zone before crashing into a ditch. He was sentenced at Crown Court. Now, this may be the most awkward encounter you hear about today. A couple who got rather romantic in a photo booth at a railway station in Kent probably ended up with a bit more publicity than they bargained for. A video of the pair canoodling behind the curtain of the machine at Faversham Station was shared on TikTok. 
The liaison was cut short by a southeastern worker. Sorry guys, well, that was probably an understatement. Sticking with TikTok, though, an influencer on the platform has been criticised for posting videos in support of a controversial housing scheme near Gravesend. Sarah Hayder works as a mortgage advisor, but one of her friends and clients wants to create 32 new properties at Cobham Lodge. She says she wasn't asked to post the videos and wasn't paid, but residents who are against the plan say it shouldn't be promoted on social media. Kent Online reports. The chief exec of the Port of Dover is warning we could see more travel chaos next summer unless the government comes up with a solution to Brexit border checks. Families and lorry drivers faced hours of queues as they tried to cross the channel at the start of this year's school holidays. Doug Bannister's been giving evidence to the Transport Committee in Parliament and raised concerns about the new European entry and exit system. There's probably two primary things that I would uh, be seeking from government. One is to recognise the significant infrastructure investment that's required throughout Kent. That is for the road network such as the duelling of the A2, the lower Thames crossing the Brenly Corner. Uh, we also have a program of work called our Dover Access Improvements, which is looking to create uh, new permanent infrastructure to manage the flows of traffic better, recognizing that the transaction times at the borders have increased. The second thing that uh, I really need the government uh, to focus attention on, as committee has heard from me probably multiple times before, is around the European entry-exit system. Now, uh, that, is, that is currently scheduled to come in place in May next year. As it stands right now, whilst there's a lot of very good work going on, we do not have a solution that's going to work in a very busy ferry terminal. And what that means for next year's summer getaway is that we're in a whole new ballgame. <clears throat> is your understanding that this will apply to all uh, passengers that pass through Dover or just those that don't have uh, an EU passport? So what, what um, for, for the entry-exit system, it's going to apply for any non-EU passport holders. In the vast majority of cases, that where that will bite as at the destination port or airport uh, because what you'll need to do is when you uh, first of all you'll need to enroll in the scheme which is uh, takes a, an amount of time uh, and what that means is that alongside of your passport details they take your biometric information then you'll need to have that validated every single time you cross the border it just so happens the only place the border is crossed on UK soil is in Dover, and that's why we're probably more alert to it than, than mm. other people. But it will affect anybody who has not uh, registered and is not an EU passport holder. Uh, and at the moment, am I right in saying it takes about a minute and a half to get a vehicle through, um, through the checks at Dover? Uh, yes. Uh, what do you estimate it would be uh, for a vehicle where Someone has to get out and do the biometric testing. Uh, Chair, I'd very much like to answer that. However, we've received no information of what it could be. So we haven't seen what the process is. We don't know what the technology is. And so it's very difficult to then uh, estimate what the time would be. What we have heard is that it could be two minutes per person to register plus two minutes for the car. So that's 10 minutes for a car full of four people. The, the complications of, uh, uh, we've heard that there could be some technology that is sort of an iPad with handholds to uh, register the fingerprints. But what we haven't done is we haven't trialed it. How do you pass that around a car? What happens if you've got a child asleep in the back seat? 
um, uh, what if it's a dark, stormy night and the lighting is inappropriate? We, we haven't tested all of that, so we don't actually know. So there's seven months to go and you still don't know what the rules of the road are going to be in terms of what you need to do and what passengers need to do to comply with this. That's correct. What I do know is that there's a lot of ongoing dialogue taking place between uh, officials in our government and uh, French officials. And I do know that there is going to be a trial of some new technology, which we've been invited along to, to witness over in Calais in the next couple of weeks. So I know activity is ongoing, but as I sit in front of the panel today, we don't have that answer. He's also calling for more funding to improve Kent's road network. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. Face mask rules are being reintroduced at two Kent hospitals as COVID infections continue to rise. Patients are also being advised to take a test before going to the sites in Tunbridge Wells and Maidstone. Visitor numbers have also been limited. Morsi say they're trying to keep people safe. The Kent Online podcast has been told the rebuilding of a swimming pool in Raynham is now set to cost £20 million more than first thought. Splashes was knocked down in January and plans were approved five months later. The cost of the project has now reached £25 million. Council bosses will be asked if they want to borrow another £7 million to add to the budget. Other options could include delaying it or redesigning the centre. Now, an exhibition has opened in Maidstone to celebrate 75 years of Alcoholics Anonymous in Britain. Darkness into Light is being hosted at the Kent History and Library Centre and explores AA's beginnings to its current involvement in society. It's opened its archive for the first time to share images, recordings, literature and artefacts. Well, Lucy's been chatting to Matt, who's a member in West Kent, to find out more about the event. That name, Darkness into Light, I mean, it's, it's quite a powerful message. Is that something that resonates with you and, and your experience with alcoholism? Oh, definitely. You know, I think um, towards the very end of me drinking, you know, I think I've given up all hopes of <clears throat> being able to um, conquer drinking on my own. Um, you know, and it's a very, my experience was it was a very lonely and sad existence towards the end. And then, you know, one day, um, you know, I'm not really sure where the, the seed was sown, um, but, I, you know, I made that call to Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, from that day on, you know, I went to my first meeting and, um, you know, let's be honest, you know, I think no one really wants to, you know, that's not part of anyone's bucket list, is it, to go to, go to AA. But, you know, I think after that very first meeting, um, I, uh, you know, I just felt hope because it, that was something that I hadn't had for a long time. And, you know, that, that description of being in the darkest depths of your drinking uh, and then being offered something which looked like a hope of recovery was, it was miraculous, really. And, um, you know, the passage in, in the big book, like I say, which is the go-to literature for Outworks Anonymous, you know, it contains all the, um, uh, you know, the information about where to get well. And there's a, um, a really good passage in there where it says, you know, that this particular part of your life is the dark before the dawn. And I think, you know, that's been translated into this exhibition is that, um, you know, as dark as, you're not, as your life might seem at the moment, when there seems no way through um, being able to, to solve that drinking issue, it just offers you, uh, you know, just light and hope, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. So we ran a story um, a couple of weeks ago about how more than 300,000 people in Kent are drinking more alcohol than they should um, and, and how a, a vast 
sort of percentage of people who are now binge drinkers. Is, is that something we should be concerned about in society? Alcoholics Anonymous is just there for anyone who's got any concerns over their own drinking. You know, I think the, um, the biggest difficult for me um, before I came into the rooms of AA was that, you know, there's not an actual um, medical definition for an alcoholic. You know, there's not, you know, you don't have to be drinking a certain amount um, to qualify. You know, I think for me, um, I just had enough. I think um, when you get to that point of thinking, you know what, I actually can't stop drinking on my own, which I know sounds like the weirdest sort of um, statement ever. You know, I think if I always felt like if things ever got that bad, I would just stop. Um, but when it's not as easy as just stopping, you know, the only requirement um, uh, to join AA is, you know, as a desire to stop drinking and, you um, you know, if people are having concerns about their own drinking and they have um, tried to stop or moderate or control their drinking and they find it a really difficult thing to do or even impossible, you know, the, the helpline is there for anyone who has any concerns about their drinking and the rooms are there and, you know, the, the, I think the stigma attached to being an alcoholic, you know, the street drinker, um, I think that is what stops a lot of people coming into the rooms. You know, I think my experience was that all the while I still had a house um, and was able to hold down a job. You know, I, I didn't think that I qualified for being an alcoholic, but the, other, the reality was, you know, I just couldn't stop drinking. And I think there's a lot of people which are like that. You know, there might be a lot of people out there which maybe are drinking more than perhaps they should. Um, and if it's causing them issues, they will just stop. You know, they'll just carry on with their lives and crack on. But, you know, there might be a certain percentage of those people that find it really difficult or impossible to stop or moderate their drinking, in which case if they do, you know, that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is there for, you know, that's what the helpline's there for and that's what the meetings are for. And I think last time we spoke, we talked about how the pandemic had maybe made things more difficult for people who needed that support from AA or, you know, people maybe turning to drink because of the stress of it and of course now we've got this new issue the cost of living crisis and that's putting a lot of pressure on families and and do you think that's maybe leading to alcoholism becoming a bit more of a problem for some look my experience was that i think i was always destined to get to a point of where i drank to the point where i couldn't control it i think there might be a number of social issues which might have contributed towards it you know and, and probably certain parts of my life did accelerate that um that issue of drinking but you know i think um it's really difficult for me to comment because i can only really say about my own experience was that um you know i think i probably would have used certain things like social issues to excuse my drinking you know i think um i was probably quite good at plucking an excuse out of the air so if it meant that um i could excuse my drinking by saying that the mortgage has gone up twice the amount or you know have you seen how much your electricity bill is these days and i could use that as an excuse to drink then i think i just would and you know i think it might highlight um certain areas of people's lives where they're not happy and then might compensate with that through through drinking a bit much um but again you know my my personal experience was that I think I was always destined to do that to myself and um, you know I don't think the social issues helped but they definitely weren't the cause of my drinking I think um, if I was going to drink I probably just would have anyway um, and the most amazing thing as well I think um, you know I've seen a lot of efforts recently about um, increasing the price of units of alcohol you know in, in an attempt to try and stem people's drinking and um, I think my experience was that I would always have found the money, you know, the price 
and the availability was almost irrelevant. You know, I think I would have always been able to find um, a means of buying drink if I definitely needed it. You know, I, I would definitely go to any lengths to get a drink if I needed one. AA is free, confidential and available to anyone who is worried about their drinking. A Dover school that used to be rated outstanding has now been branded inadequate by inspectors. Temple Yule Primary was given the top grade just five years ago, but has now received the lowest ranking despite the quality of education being praised. Ofsted say there were concerns around record keeping and safeguarding, while their teachers said they'll do everything they can to address the issues. A black and white cat named Jack Sparrow by rescue staff in Canterbury is recovering after having surgery on one of the worst wounds they'd seen. The two-year-old male was found abandoned on the Isle of Sheppey in June with a burst abscess on his neck. He's now living with a foster family. And Britain's Got Talent judge Alicia Dixon is going to be in Kent tomorrow. She's doing a meet and greet with fans at Blue Water as part of her work as a Tresemme ambassador. Kent Online Sport. Football and Gillingham have beaten Colchester United on penalties in their final EFL Trophy group game. It finished 1-0 after full-time at Priestfield, with the Jills winning 5-4 on spot kicks. Here's manager Neil Harris. Box ticked. Um, it was another game unbeaten. Um, one on penalty shootout, so some confidence to the boys that scored. Lewis Walker scored another goal. Uh, I don't think we used the ball particularly well tonight at times. Uh, it was my only frustration. Um, but we scored another goal in us four games in a row. We scored when we've been a team that's lacked goals this season. So uh, positives from it, definitely. There's prize money involved uh, for every game you win, so it's important for the club. Uh, much needed money. Um, if everyone's got through free from injury, then it's a positive. Um, but important for people that hadn't been in the team the last couple, like Jordan and, and, and Elkin, um, Lewis, they, they get minutes. So um, you know, it work, works for them. We're moving in the right direction. Everybody can see we're moving in the right direction. I feel it, the players feel it. I can't get excited about the draw at home tonight and <laughs> we shoot out in this competition. Honestly, I'm not really fussed. Uh, if we get through, it's another game. We've got to try and fit in on top of the Brentford one. So if we're through, then we'll play what's in front of us and and we'll, we'll manage the group. If we don't play, we end up with a free week and we get to work on the training. I'll have to wait to see if they've done enough to get through to the second round of the competition, though. They're back in lead to action this weekend as they host top of the table, Stevenage. Well, that's all for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can now get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site by subscribing at kentonline.co.uk slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.